Well, most times these stories write themselves. You know, things start off and you think they're gonna be one thing, but a lot of times they end up being another. When the last opportunity you get for somebody to do a story on you to say the spotlight is growing dim on Clark, you think it's kinda over. Underestimated and still I made it. In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated. Nobody told me looked over, but still dedicated. Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favorite. Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, and never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB precision, television, ain't ask for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just watch me go to work. And tackle all of these topics right here on Face First. This is a, a special Face First for me. This is my second artist, right? Word. But My second artist, but the first time I've gotten to sit down with somebody from my hometown. Uh, obviously, everybody knows you here. Uh, as B Mike, but your name is actually Brandon Odom. Yeah, you know, but we gonna call you B Mike. Yeah, that's cool. But you know, for the, for the rest of the show, man, and we're sitting uh, in Studio B now. Mm -hmm. But this isn't the first place that started to make you famous. Uh, you've had Project B, you've mm -hmm. had Exhibit B. Mm -hmm. But tell us a little bit about Young B Mike. Yeah, man. Uh, one, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, you know, being from New Orleans, New Orleans is a special place, as you know. Um, this city is magical. It creates magic. And I think young version of me was uh, absorbing that. You know what I mean? I was always interested in art, creating. Um, and my peers, my friends, my teachers always would tell me, like, you're going to be an artist. As young as first grade, they would see me drawing and coloring. I was like, oh, you're going to be an artist. And, you know, as a kid, you like affirmation. So you're like, yeah, OK, I'm good at this and I'm going to be an artist. And so I carried that all throughout grade school. Like, yep, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be an artist. I had no idea what that meant. Right. But I just knew that when it came to picking a job, some people said police, some people said doctor, some people said lawyer, football player. I said, I'm going to be an artist. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until I got into like middle school, high school that I started to like really seek out art classes and understand the structure of being a good artist. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the the initial stages of the journey. But when I got into high school, I went to this space called NOCA, New yep. Orleans Center of Creative Arts, which is the space all the, the great That place, creative. I'm gonna tell you what, man, that place almost seemed like a mythical place to me <laughs> because anybody that you knew that went there, it was like they were removed from the life we knew them from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I thought, I thought it was dang there, man, a cult that they put y'all in, a cult <laughs> for kids with special talents, like yeah. Hogwarts. And we would go half a day. So I, would yeah. go to my, I went to Edna Carr in the day, and then the next half a day I would go to Noka, mm -hmm. and it was like a, only a few of us. So it did yeah. kind of have that vibe where people were like, you just disappeared for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and all our classmates, they're all doing great things. Mm -hmm. Trombone Shorty, John Baptiste, Christian yeah. Scott, like these are all friends of mine and they're doing amazing things. But that's what that space was, all these talented young people. Um, but I went there for visual arts and my experience there taught me how to be a good artist. But I never saw examples of what an adult black male artist did or mm -hmm. examples of success. And so for me, when I started thinking about my future, Art was not a part of it. I didn't see like, oh, I'm going to be a professional artist because I had no idea what that looked like um, mm -hmm. at the time. I didn't have Instagram to see these examples or YouTube to pull up things. And so I went to school for filmmaking and I thought that was going to be the rest of my life. And I did that for a long time, for eight years. 
And I found my way back into art because of graffiti. Mm. Um, Katrina happened. It was eight years after Katrina. And there was a lot of abandoned and displaced spaces around the city. And those spaces were breathing spots for graffiti. It was like you go in these spaces. I was location scouting for music videos. And I would walk in deep into these abandoned warehouses and just see graffiti everywhere, these dope, dope pieces. And I was just fascinated, like, man, who did that? Why did they do that? How did they do it? And imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah. So I start going back there with spray paint, trying to do the stuff myself. And were you trying to do it for the videos or you were trying to do it for the art, the actual no, art of doing just, the graffiti? It was just fascination, like trying to see, like just really being dumbfounded by the process. Cause there was two things I interpreted from my structured learning of art that I thought was a rule that had to be followed. One, you're a good artist if you're showing your work, if you're selling your work, and people knew who you were. Okay. When I saw graffiti and street art, none of those rules applied at that moment. It was like, I didn't know who did it. They clearly couldn't sell it. And there was no way for people to, to see it outside of those who were going to venture deep into these spaces. And so that alone was attractive to me to just explore for the sheer purpose of creating. So I once again fell in love with just painting. It wasn't the pressure of is this going to sell or is anybody going to like this? It was just like, yo, I'm having fun and no one's going to see this. Like we, <laughs> I was deep in this space in, a, in the Ninth Ward in this Florida housing project. Yeah. There was no reason for anyone to be back there. And I was going back there every day, just painting, just falling in love with art again. And then what happened was images of those pieces started to circulate. Yeah. And then I was nervous at first because I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna get in trouble. Like somebody knows I'm back here legally painting. But there was a different response from the community. And it was a response that was sort of like intrigued and curious and appreciative of the work. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been a fan of history. I've always been a fan of black history specifically. And so I was just painting people I love. You know, I mm -hmm. love Dr. King. I love Malcolm X. I was just painting portraits of them. But when you see a photo of a painting of Malcolm X in an abandoned housing project, immediately people are like, oh, there's this message. It's a political it's a message. Different feel. For right. It's a different I, feel to it. And I was like, I'm not giving a political message. I'm just trying to paint. But then I started to understand as things grew mm -hmm. why I wanted to paint. You know what I mean? Um, and that's kind of the short journey of how I got here. Yeah. And so when when you're doing that and you're painting in the Florida projects and you say it was a different response to it, mm -hmm. were there people who, who joined in or were there artists who did other things in there to kind of continue to build on what you started? Yeah. So I think... Initially, um, I wasn't the first one. I, like I was saying, I wasn't right. the first one to go in these spaces. So there was a, 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 a community of graffiti writers that were going into those okay. spaces. My community was filmmakers and videographers, and we were going into those spaces. Gotcha. I think once I started to create um, the type of work that I was creating, the only thing I did was shift the audience. Because okay. at the time, and even today kind of, graffiti culture is, the main audience is graffiti culture. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like a... It's like an internal conversation for the, the same community. What I did differently was I realized New Orleans was in the middle of a, of a moment that was about displacement. It was about home. It was about people longing to return back home. Mm -hmm. And so I seen those spaces, an abandoned housing project, as a space that was a, a conversation for those who longed to come home. And so I wanted to communicate to those individuals. I wanted to paint things that they would appreciate. I wasn't interested in painting things that the graffiti community would appreciate. And so when I made that shift, I think the community started to be drawn into mm -hmm. it. And that 
then drew in other artists that yeah. didn't call themselves graffiti writers, but they just wanted to create as well. And so there was this underground current of art that took place in this space. And so, it was beautiful. So, so the one thing that I'm learning, and you know, we walked around here before, mm -hmm. uh, you keep saying graffiti writers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When I think of it as graffiti artists. And, mm -hmm. and so what's the difference in between oh, those terms? That's a, that's a, that's a whole course in a, in a school somewhere that somebody <laughs> should start. I think it's, it's, there's layers to it, right? Okay. And, and I'm probably not the best. I will open this up by saying that I am not a graffiti writer. Okay. And I say that because of my respect for the graffiti community. Mm -hmm. I was a product of it in a lot of ways by mm -hmm. seeing and being observant and being proximate to it by trying to connect with those who are part of the graffiti community. But I think the main difference is graffiti has this rich history of being, um, using the graffiti can, using spray paint to communicate in spaces where you're not um, heard. So we think about the early days of hip hop where spray paint was a part of that, graffiti was a part of that. That's what it was about. It was about young people declaring who they were, their identity in the midst of a, of a space that didn't quite ask for it. Mm -hmm. I think now the separation can be where as a street artist, you can create with a certain audience in mind. As a graffiti writer, you're creating with a certain audience in mind. As a muralist, you're creating with a certain artist in mind, a certain audience in mind. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's about permission. Street art can sometimes have permission. Graffiti kind of never has permission to exist. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it can get really tricky in terms of like dicing up what is what? Because most of us all use spray paint. And so sometimes okay. people just think if you use spray paint, you're doing graffiti. I'm, but, I'm people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm people. Nah, I think when I think about graffiti writers, yeah. I think about those individuals who are going out sometimes in, in, in the middle of the night or in times where people aren't paying attention and they're doing things at, the, at great expense to their own yeah. physical safety as well as legal safety. They're going out and they're, they're putting the stuff on the wall. Um, you know, I can go down a, a rabbit hole of, <laughs> of like my criticisms as well as my appreciation uh, I got you. of all of it. You know what I mean? Because I think a part of my career is about being critical of graffiti at its worst. And when I say at its worst, I'm thinking about the opportunity to, to speak. You know what I mean? I think I come from a community of people that understood the power of their voice and how... One of my favorite songs by a friend of mine, Big Crit, he's got a song where he starts off and he says, the elder told him, how could you be in a position to say so much and say so little? And then he was like, this is me saying a lot. And so when I was introduced to graffiti, I was like, man, we in a position to say so much. Yeah. And sometimes people are saying so little. And stakes has always been too high for me to think about risking my physical and legal safety to not say something. And so from the very beginning, I was always trying to say something for me. I was trying to say something that was important to me. Um, but once again, that's a debate because I'm not trying to say that some graffiti writers <laughs> no, I, aren't saying anything. Right. But, you know. No, I get it. I think, and you know, it's something you said. It's about being able to be critical, but also admire in a way. And I, when I think of admire, I think of respect. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That, you know, that there's a level of respect there, which is why... You, you'll say, you know, I'm not trying to say certain things, but I want to make sure people understand yeah, how I difference. view it. Yeah. So you, you had Project B. Uh -huh. uh, that was in uh, the Florida, right? Yep. And then you moved to the Fisher, correct? Mm -hmm. Once it shut down. 
So oh. it was it's right next to the Fisher. It was a spot called the Gall Manor. Okay. And the first spot when people when you, sometimes when I say the Florida, people think I was in Florida. It wasn't. I wasn't in Florida. It was the Florida Housing Project. Project. Yep. You know that. I know that. But some people might not right. know that. Um, but the Gall Manor was what that space was called okay. on the West Bank um, in Algiers. And so close people, to our home. people who don't grow up here uh-huh. don't realize, I think, how we saw projects. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's it, it's different, you know. Uh, the earliest, I guess, artist who I heard talk about his project a lot was honestly Jay-Z, because he would yeah, always yeah. talk about, about Marcy, talk yeah, about yeah. the Marcy, whereas yeah. we we understood it and looked at it a little different. So to be in the Florida housing project, to be in DeGaul Manor, which is close uh, to the Fisher, what was making, what was drawing you to these sort of spots? Unfortunately, it was how neglected they were in, mm-hmm. the, in that moment. You know, this is after Katrina the city was moving forward in a way that was, the city was telling the world, like, we're back. Come on down. Mm-hmm. Let the good times roll. And yet these spaces were reminders that we weren't back, that all of us weren't back. Because you go into the Florida Housing Project and you're like, there was 80 units there that were completely empty. Who lived there? Where are they now? And the common story was they couldn't come back. They were displaced and couldn't come back. Same with the Gall Manor. It was like 360 units. No one's there. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my connection to this space or my questions to these spaces were, this is reminding us that we're not all back. You know, you, call, you said Florida, you know, I was kind of coming in on something in the yeah. projects that was already there. Graffiti writers uh-huh. were already there, but that wasn't the same thing for Exhibit B. No, I think cause so what happened was Project B, there was no idea of what it was going to become. We, it all happened in real time. It okay. was like, oh, other artists are responding. Oh, people from the community are responding. Mm-hmm. Oh, teachers are bringing students. Oh, and it was just like this whole thing that, like learning through observation in real time. Even for me as an artist, it was just like the, one of the best real life lessons that can take place. It's like, oh, this is how people can respond to art. Or, okay. Oh, this is how I can respond to people responding to art. Um, so by the time Exhibit B happened, there was a little bit more intention because as we were threatened to be shut down from Project B, as the city began to find out what was happening and they were mm-hmm. gradually shutting it down, there was like this Hail Mary attempt to pitch an idea. It was like, yo, what if we invite the public? What if y'all allow us to have this space for a moment of time? And you said you, you pitched that to the city? Yeah, so, oh, okay. to Housing Authority of New Orleans, which was the, the, the organization that ran that housing project. And they just didn't have the imagination. They, they was like, nah, it's a liability. Not, this cannot happen. So first with that idea, not trying to implement it somewhere somewhere else, but I just fell in love with painting in those spaces. I just fell in love with those moments of just the struggle it required to find a space to paint and then laying out my stuff, looking for a wall. It, it was like an adventure mixed with art, mixed with um, real time, um, just sensory overload. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like there's a breeze coming in, there's sounds from a distance, there's... So I just fell in love with that whole process. Um, But also more than anything, I fell in love with the ephemeral nature of it all. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember being in high school and a friend of mine said he had this epiphany and he was like, oh, I know why we want to paint, why we want to do art, because we want our work to last forever. Right. And that just made me be intimidated because I was like, well, what do I create that deserves to last forever? I was looking at every painting like, does this deserve to last forever? Does this deserve to last forever? So painting in those abandoned spaces, it couldn't last forever. You know, these, these walls, 
it's like I, even if I painted something that I thought was the most amazing thing ever, I knew for a fact that it couldn't last forever. You and said I, the say the word again, ephemeral. Ephemeral. Ephemeral nature. Is that ephemeral how you came up with it. ephemeral eternal? Yeah, that's exactly how okay. I came up with it because it was just like I knew what made me want to do art again was that I wasn't overthinking or overanalyzing what it meant to do art. It was just about responding in the moment, which is why it was called B, which is why it was called Project B, Exhibit B, it was a studio B. It's about what it means to be in that moment. Um, so anyway, I fell in love with doing that. And so when it came down for going into the the Gall Manor, I was just loving that experience. And then the owners of that space walked in on me one day and it was one of those moments where I couldn't run, I couldn't hide, I had to just confront them and mm -hmm. What I noticed is that they were curious. They were like, are you the one doing all these paintings? And actually it was sports that built the bridge because I painted a portrait of Muhammad Ali and I painted a portrait of Michael Jordan. And this older white guy who, I, could, I think he couldn't directly see the value in, because I was painting a portrait of, of Maria Baraka, mm. um, one of the most amazing po black poets. Mm. He couldn't find a connection with that because that's what I was painting at the time. Right. But he said, are you the one who did this Muhammad Ali? Did you do this Michael Jordan? Yeah. And at first I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he was like, well, if you did, we're about to rebuild this space and I would love to invite you to come and do some paintings. And I was like, oh, he's not mad. He's kind of interested. Mm -hmm. And he was like, man, I got to tell you, I, I went to a Muhammad Ali fight in Vegas, blah, blah, blah. So then he's starting to kind of how about, sports is that bridge yeah. between them both. right? So now I'm like, and I'm telling him, well, Muhammad Ali is one of my favorite people of all time. And so mm -hmm. we're sort of finding common ground through yeah. sports. And then at that point I was like, well, look, why don't you let me, because he told me, he said, keep coming back and paint. He said, if anybody tries to stop you, tell them I gave you permission because I like what you're doing. And I was like, this is weird because coming off of the energy of Project yeah. B where it was just so much aggression and like, oh, you're doing something wrong, you're doing something wrong. And he's like, I like what you're doing. And then he even gave me the key to the lock of the gate because we used to have to hop the fence. Mm -hmm. He was like, here, this, this is the key to the lock anytime you want to come in. And at that point, I'm starting to remember all those ideas we had in Project B about how we wanted to invite the public, how we wanted to make it a big, a, a big community thing. And so I just started running it. I was like, well, look, what if blah, 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 blah. And then he kind of paused and, he, you know, it took him a while to process it. And for whatever reason, thank God, he was like, all right, go ahead. Let's, right. let's, let's, let's make this happen. And that's what led to what began to be Exhibit B. Right. And so... You, you, you thought to yourself, you could do it for the community. Yeah. That, that, that locally people uh -huh. would, would love to see this. And I think the, the message in it is some spots and some places in New Orleans are back. Some places are thriving mm -hmm. because we need to make money as mm -hmm. a city. But the heart of the city, which is the people, mm -hmm. right? Which we have to understand the people, not all of them can, can come back. And so when it goes from being something that was great locally, something mm -hmm. that was great for our community, to being a, a, a national attraction that starts to attract celebrities mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. superstars. What's that feeling like for you to just be focused on creating and now people see value in that? Yeah, so I have to be very careful in a good way when I talk about Exhibit B because I wanna make sure that it's understood that Ex Exhibit B was a, a group effort. It was a group mm. project. It was myself as well as 35 other artists, which then wow. grew to even more artists that we would invite people in real time, as well as a group of organizers that helped make that, that had the vision and foresight to, to challenge me to not just think about it as an as a art expression, but as a thing that had to be 
responsive and equitable to the community around mm-hmm. it. So it was a beautiful collaboration and group community of art that came together. Um, but yeah, initially it was, I had three goals with Exhibit B from the very beginning. I wanted to connect three different groups of people. I wanted to connect the street art and graffiti community mm-hmm. that is sometimes frowned upon when it comes to creation in public spaces. I wanted to connect the developer of that space because at the time I had more hopeful outcome of what could happen. And I wanted to connect the community, those who lived in the surrounding areas. Because I felt like oftentimes these three people are never on the same page, right. often at odds with each other. And I had this very um, uh, kumbaya perspective that maybe I can put us all at the table and maybe we can come to some sort of solution about what we all want. I learned a lot from that project right. in terms of how difficult that can be. Um, but that was the goal. The byproduct of that goal, though, however, was that people outside of that direct community were going into the space. Mm-hmm. You know, being in this area, that when, it, when you tell somebody on this side of the river in New Orleans to go to the West Bank, it's like telling them to go, go. to a different country. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so having people from this part of the city going across the river, bringing that attention to Algiers, bringing all those people to Algiers was just beautiful. And then as the attention of it grew, as the press started to talk about it, the mm. blog started to talk about it. And then we closed that event. Like we closed Exhibit B with this epic block party we called Block Power. And we had this big old block party with David Banner, Dead Prez, Trombone Shorty, Erica Badu. It was just this epic moment mm-hmm. that we closed out this space in a very, very beautiful way. One of my favorite memories to date, we had over 10,000 people crammed into this space. Yeah that initially I couldn't convince people to come with me. They were all afraid. I was like, oh, it's abandoned, oh, it's blah, blah, blah. And here we had 10,000 people trying to get into this space. It's beautiful. Um, but that's the legacy of Exhibit B. It was right. just like this community project, art as alchemy. Mm-hmm. And in that moment for me, like I told you, Noka taught me how to be an artist. Yeah. But it was after that moment that I was like, okay, now I know why I want to mm. be an artist. Now I know why people create or can create. Because it, it, it showed me the responsibility and the power of art. I walked around the city after that, calling myself an artist for the first time. Prior to that, it was just something I did. It was Mm -hmm. just something that I did for fun or something that I was able to do okay or well. But after that moment, I was like, I'm an artist. I walked in rooms feeling like, yes, I'm an artist. So that changed a lot for me. And that's what opened the doors to where we are now, Studio B. Yeah, and so... We, we've been in Studio B. We got a tour earlier, mm-hmm. uh, which is amazing, which I'm going to allow people to see mm-hmm. as well. But we've had a train given us <laughs> hell, bro. Definitely, and, definitely. And you started to tell an interesting story of how steep in history yeah. New Orleans is. New Orleans is a place where you could throw a rock and you'll hit like a historic site or mm-hmm. something. You know, it's an old city. It's one of the oldest cities in this country. Um, and so that train is important because literally directly across the street from where we're standing, you there's a placard and it talks about how Homer Plessy um, boarded that train strategically. Mm. Homer Plessy was a very, very light-skinned black man mm. and they wanted to challenge the laws that said black people had to sit in a certain cart and white people had to sit in the better cart. And they wanted to challenge it to show how arbitrary that was. So Homer Plessy, a man who you couldn't tell was black from, his sur- from the surface, sat in the white cart and then announced to everybody that he was black. And then they tried to put him in the black card. He was like, no, I'm, I refuse. And then they kicked him off the train. That led to then a court case, because this was all strategic. Yeah. That led to a court case called Plessy versus Ferguson, mm-hmm. which led to the legalization of segregation. That led to the phrase separate but equal. Yeah. 
And so that train track or that is, is historic because that's literally right where that all occurred. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about black history, when we think about like what we try to do within this space, we understand that our feet, literally where we're standing right now, is connected to a site mm-hmm. that is so important in the history of us in this country. Um, and I use that as a metaphor to talk about like how we're still connected to all of these things. Like people look at this sometimes, we see these black and white images of Dr. King or these black and white images of Fannie Lou Hamer or Paul Robeson. And we just assume that this was thousands of years ago, yeah. not realizing that this is still so connected. I'm, I'm good friends with Malcolm X's daughter. And this is like, she talks about him as if you, you would talk about your mm-hmm. father, your grandfather, you know what I mean? It's just like, we're not that far removed from these moments and it kind of helps us understand how great and how far we've gone, but also the challenge that we still have and the responsibility we still have. So, yeah. Do you look at yourself as an activist as well? Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the art you create, the, the, the stories you tell about uh, African-Americans and mm-hmm. their journey throughout this country, throughout history, uh, could obviously be seen as activism. And also, you attract people who live that life and consider themselves activists. Do you look at your art as activism uh-huh. or yourself as an activist? I, I think that art has a, a certain responsibility when it comes to the space of activism. One, I think the idea of calling myself an activist, I always challenge that because I felt like to be an activist is um, it's just to call yourself and your community valuable enough to defend it. And mm-hmm. I don't feel like that requires or should require a title. Okay. That's just natural. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If, and this is something the mentor told me, he said, if somebody push your moms down the stairs, you're going to respond. Mm-hmm. You're going to do something. That doesn't make you special. That just makes you an empathetic human being that mm-hmm. understands that you have value, she has value, your community has value. And so the idea that to find that value and find yourself valuable enough to defend yourself from those who don't find value in you is just a part of, it should be as natural. You, you, it shouldn't require a superhero cape. You know okay. what I mean? It's like, this is what we all supposed to do. So on that front, I always like, I'm like, I don't want to call myself an activist in a way that alleviates responsibilities from other people. They was like, well, I'm not an activist, so I ain't going to do nothing about that. It's like, nah, I see do you saying. find yourself valuable enough to defend yourself from those who don't? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Then you got to do something. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's the semantics. So I guess mm-hmm. on the surface, <laughs> it, it could be seen as right. activism. But I do think that when it comes to art, there's a responsibility because I understand in the same way as entertainment or, or, or sports, we understand that oftentimes we're in positions to go places that people who look like us don't get to go. Mm-hmm. I understand that my art is sometimes, or let's put it this way, culture is often the first things we let in the door of spaces and people who we don't know or aren't comfortable with. So before you go and talk to a person from that culture, that community, you'll let their food in, you'll let yeah. their music in, you let their literature in. You mm-hmm. let their their uh, their art in. Yeah. Sometimes the appropriation that we see. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that for me, my art is sometimes able to go places that people aren't ready for me to be there. Mm-hmm. They'll accept what I create before they would physically let me come into the door and talk. And so with that is responsibility. With that is an idea of of. Um, that could be seen as, as, as activism mm-hmm. because it is this idea that says, okay, the value that the work can bring in is able to be translated into um, action. 
Right. You know, so, but in the same way we see when we, when we think about athletes, when we think about what is the role yeah. beyond the direct action of what you do well, mm-hmm. what else is your responsibility? And some might argue and say, well, my responsibility is just to do the thing that I do well. To do sports. Right. Mm-hmm. And then some might say, no, my responsibility, since I'm being allowed to be let into the door, yeah. since I'm being welcomed into people's living rooms, then I also have a responsibility to take people with me. Mm-hmm. One of my mentors used to tell me, he said, when I walk in a room, my race walks in with me. Mm-hmm. And he used to use that as a way to kind of create a sense of, um, of, of a standard. Mm-hmm. He said, I have to show people because I know when they see me, they don't, only just, they don't just see me, but they see, see all of us. Right. I think too, though, when you look at the type of art you do, the way your art ha- has grown, there becomes an expectation of you, right? Yeah, the the, the, the yeah. same way if when, when I'm on TV and we're talking about George Floyd, even mm-hmm. though I do sports, mm-hmm. and when I, when I approach it a certain way, there's now an expectation on my life. There's now an expectation that every time mm-hmm. that situation happens... That you would be the voice, yeah. That this is the way, the way I, be, I behave. Does that ever get heavy for you? Because I feel like when there's All-Star Weekend or mm-hmm. something, I can see that guys flock here to be here. Mm-hmm. You've done things with Nike. You've, mm-hmm. now, you've now made this commercially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. successful. Do you feel some sort of a responsibility to remember the roots of, you said, the why that you started? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of internal questions that I think are important to navigate. I think when it comes to those things, for sure, there's a start around... Because you're right, I'm often invited to create and speak around those moments. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one thing I've learned from the legacy of Black people in this country is to be alchemists, to transform pain into beauty or to sadness into happiness. We see that well in New Orleans. When mm. we think about the way we celebrate death, when we yes. think about um, the food here, like all the food that you would put at the top of your list as mm. New Orleans food, from yeah. gumbo to etouffee to jambalaya. These are all foods that are traced back to West Africa. Yeah. So that means that this food was brought here in a moment that was the most tense, the most uh, tragic, but yet mm. people were able to say, you can have my body, but you can have my culture. Mm. I'm going to maintain my identity through these right. subtle ways of resistance. And so I've learned from that to kind of think about how the work I create can be subtle or it can be very bold in terms mm. of how it looks like as resistance. But I think ultimately... The question that gets asked for me all the time is when it gets to the point where it feels like we're just decorating the problem or dancing with the problem. When you start, when you start Project B, you move to Exhibit B and now mm-hmm. we're, we're in Studio B. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can, like all of those things play on words, right? It's B Mike, but B is spelled nah, nah, differently, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, not- and, and, and so there, there's all these, these different things that I think people will look at and say, okay, what truly makes uh, Brandon Odom. Yeah, so I like to correct that and say, well, the B, I never meant for it to be like, I know like it looks like it's a play on my name, but the whole thing was about, the biggest critique I got from the beginning when it was way back to Project B was like, why are you wasting your time? No one's going to see this. You can't, you, you're, you're wasting your mm-hmm. pain, you're wasting your time. And so time has always been a big part of this, like, mm-hmm. you know, this, this navigation of time. And my response to it was like, it's all about the present. Like mm. right now in this moment, I'm learning so much, I'm gaining so much, I'm enjoying this so much. So it's about being in this moment, being in the present. And that's why we called it Project B, because it was like, you know what? This might not last, you mm. might not see this past today. It definitely didn't exist yesterday. But right now while you're here, there's a level of value and appreciation you can pull from it. 
And the same concept just continued with Exhibit B. We knew it wasn't going to last. We knew we had a we knew we had an expiration date mm-hmm. with Studio B. Initially, we knew we had an expiration date. So it's always about being in this moment. Um, and so that's where the BE comes from. It's mm. it's like what Common said. And and also, B is such a beautiful word, especially the colloquial use of the word B. If <laughs> if 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 a black person tells you I'd be at the store, you don't know if they were at the store yesterday or if they're at the right. store right now. Or, or if that's or, where they always are. Or if they're at the store. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so the use of the word be to me has always been like just a very beautiful word because I feel like it exists in all time. Like it, right. to be is timeless. Mm-hmm. So the phrase be in the Studio B Project yeah. B Exhibit B was always about like time. Yeah. Um, and so, but... To answer your question, um, we're in the process now of completely trying to not separate, but just yeah. pull myself out of the dynamic of the B series. So it maintains this idea about what the last, since 2013, I don't even know how many hmm. years that's been, but what almost 10 years, what the right. last 10 years have taught me and taught everyone who's been a part of this, and how we can extract those lessons into something that is permanent, I guess. Yeah. And that's where we started the nonprofit. That's where the idea of making yeah. sure that we can continue to do this work that is not hinged upon what I'm physically creating, mm-hmm. but we're able to pass it on. So well, that's where we are. Well, we appreciate you being, right? Thank we, you. We, we hope you continue <laughs> to be. Uh, but as of now, y'all be open. Yeah. <laughs> so we appreciate you, man. You're nah, an amazing guest. Thank good. you, fam. Yes, nah, sir. No, nah, I appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, <laughs> It's always good to share. It's good to finally have this conversation. Absolutely. Uh, and appreciate the support over the years. Are like you bringing yeah. people by and you coming by? Um, that's part of the reasons why we're still here is that people continue to support and uh, uplift this space. So yeah. definitely appreciate that. We appreciate you, Doc. Definitely. All right, man, we're done. <laughs> Underestimated and still I made it. In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated. Nobody told me looked over, but still dedicated. Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favored. Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, and never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB precision, television, ain't ask for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just watch me go to work. Tackle all of these topics right here on Face First.